You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello everyone and welcome back into the safe heaven of my airing cupboard. I had promised you all that I was going to start back in the spring. But to be honest, with different things happening in my life, my heart wasn't really in it. My mother hasn't been well in hospital now for the last seven weeks. And now with the entire world in turmoil, a dumb anxiety had slowly taken hold of me and somehow paralyzing me a little. Two nights ago, while speaking to my mum on the telephone, she said she was going to put the blanket over her head in the hospital bed and listen to one of my stories. And that is when I decided I was going to voice a story for her. So here it is. Cette histoire, elle est pour toi, mam. This story will be slightly different from all the stories that I have voiced on the airing cupboard until now. Indeed, the first half is very real, based on facts. However, the second part of this story is the pure fruit of my imagination. It hasn't happened yet. I have decided to do this because I am in need of hope. And I think we all are. So, here it is. My mum, the big lady of my life, is a very vibrant woman. She has hordes of friends and grandchildren, a fantastic partner. She loves gardening, reading, telling stories, funny that. She is maybe a little eccentric, She loves wearing colorful clothes and dangling earrings. She is beautiful, even now, close to her 80s. Her faith is strong but very personal. She doesn't care what other people believe. She is physically very fit and a great walker. She has recently completed a pilgrimage that took her all the way from her house in Belgium to Assisi in Italy. And because that wasn't quite enough, she carried on to Rome and she managed to meet the Pope after writing to him asking for an audience. Of course she would. So it was with shock that we heard one morning that she had been taken into hospital with neurological problems. Mobility had been affected and uh, tests were being carried out. And so, for me, started the big dance of regular trips between England and Belgium, trying to spend as much time next to her in hospital. I would arrive in the morning after the long trip with a bit of a ball in my tummy for it to immediately vanish as soon as I would set eyes on her, welcoming me with the biggest of smiles shining like a big sun, perfectly still in the midst of white sheets, tubes and monitors. 
and during those visits, when even words cannot be spoken, she remains beautiful in a peaceful strength and utter trust in what lays ahead. The hospital is a big one, an enormous machine of health. Successions of corridors, departments, wards, lecture halls, operating theatres. It is just across the linguistic border from where my mother lives. Remember, there are three official uh, spoken languages in small Belgium. And here, all nurses, doctors, porters, cleaners, cook, they all speak Flemish. It isn't my mum's mother tongue. She is a French speaker. But despite all the mess in her head, she manages to remember how to speak, piece it together and communicate. Communicate an innate positivism and a gratefulness. And I can see they all like her. On a morning visit, one of us Notice her hands. She has bright red nail varnish on. It wasn't there before. She has been sleeping now for two or three days, very still in her white bed. Who has done this for her? It's been done to perfection. Each fingernail is beautifully covered with red gloss. No splodge, no running, no streaks. It's so peculiar to see those beautifully manicured hands softly resting on the hospital sheets, the red gloss speaking of another place, a place away from the drips, the machine, the suffering. So we all wondered, who was it? Who's done this? Who took this tender time to make her feel like a woman? Which one of her children, which one of her friends brightened her hands and by doing so brightened the entire room? No one, it seems. A true mystery. So two days later, I am back in the hospital room. Nurses and doctors come and go all day, so bright and clever in their extraordinary expertise concentrating on the amazing job, working wonders, smiling, taking time to explain and comfort. The day shift goes home for a rest and the night shift comes in. Lights get dimmer, corridors grow quieter, conversations are muffled and that is when he walks into the room. A nurse, pushing his small trolley of instruments, drugs and laptops. He must be 28, 30 years old. He has the most beautiful face and his eyes remind me of those of a cat. He has a quiet and precise way to work and I see a lot of tenderness in his movements as he looks after my mum. The medical uniform that he is wearing keeps his forearms spare. And I notice a bit of a tattoo, one that must be taking roots on his shoulder 
or upper arm. On his skin is tattooed the black sinuous branches of a tree and on it some dainty pink flowers like the blossom of a Japanese cherry tree. And I thought, what a comforting sight. Like if all of a sudden a bit of spring had filtered into the hospital room with its soft sunshine, birdsong and caressing breeze. I get out of the room into the corridor making myself scarce. After all, it isn't visiting hours anymore. And um, as he gets out, we start chatting. He's updating me on my mum's condition. And I find myself telling him about the nail varnish. He smiles, embarrassingly. He turns his face away, he rubs his jaws with his hands, then he ruffles his hair. It was him, he said. He had noticed the bottle of red varnish on the tablet. He thought she would like it. And I thought, what a gem of a man. So a few days later, I am back again. This time, it's a different place. My mum has moved to intensive care. New service, new staff. Amazingly and kindly, they allow me to come into a room and be with her. It isn't visiting hours, so when the nurses or doctors come in, I recede into the corner of the room and make myself as little as possible. And from there, I observe a young nurse doing what she does, with precision, expertise, moving gracefully in front of me as in a silent ballet. She checks tubes and monitors, administrates drugs, checks the smooth running of machines. She's wearing a hat, a mask and a big protective gown. And all I can see of her is her blonde hair held into a silky ponytail, escaping from a protective hat. And I can see her eyes, darting from monitor to patient, to drugs, I don't say a word. She knows I'm there. And then something relaxes in her body. She has finished doing what she needed to do. She's satisfied that she has carried out all the checks and that all is in order. She pulls the sheets and blankets comfortably around my mother's chin and tenderly holds her hand for a moment, looking at her. And then she turns to me and faces me. Between the protective hat and the mask, her eyes are like a beam of life, energy. They are very pale green, like water, edged by soft, dark lashes that gather into the smallest of curl on the corner. And her eyes remind me of those of a cat. And I find myself thinking about the nurse with the cherry blossom tattoo, five floors above us. She takes a mask off and chats to me, updating me on the situation. She must be 25 years old. She is bright and fun 
and when she smiles, her mouth goes to the left and a simple dimple appears in her cheek. She is very pretty. And as we chat for a short moment, all I can think of is the nurse with the blossom tattoo. I could just see them together. And as she's about to leave, he just comes out. I tell her about him. I know it's mad, but I just feel compelled to say something. She laughs. She says, hmm. She swishes a ponytail and a spark appears in her eyes. Is he good looking? She asks. Good teeth? We laugh. I don't even know if he's single, I say. I tell her about the pink blossom on his arm. And I tell her about the red nail varnish and his eyes that remind me of hers. She finishes a few bits in the room. We say our goodbyes. She takes her blue rubber gloves off and throw them into the bin. And just as she leaves the room, she stops, turns back and says, Fifth floor, you said. What was his name? A few days later, on my way to the Eurotunnel and the hospital, I have to turn back. Coronavirus has taken hold of the world. Hospitals are shut to visitors. Borders are closing. People are confined. And I will not see my mother anymore. Not for a long while. She's going to have to do it on her own, in a language that isn't hers, among unfamiliar faces. And I do not doubt for a second that she will succeed just fine. And when I manage to speak to her, sometimes later, she tells me not to worry she tells me about all the happiness she receives, about the Sudanese nurse that has so much time for her, about lovely Simon that is so fresh and so tender, about a young neurologist and his extraordinary empathy, about the cleaner from Croatia that teaches her how to use a mobile phone again, about the two young nurses with their perfect eyebrows who sing along popular tunes as they help my mother in the morning. She tells me she's contented and thankful. And I can feel that the love she has inside her has started to radiate, shine, to echo the one of others, to illuminate and to reproduce, and to spread with its invisible hands of kindness, beauty, and connection. My mother also tells me that um, an old prayer had resurfaced in her memory and that she's saying the words silently to herself while lying dependent on others in her hospital bed. And this old prayer says this, Give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That night, I imagined my mother comfortably lying in her bed, having been looked after 
by arms covered in pink blossom, falling asleep, oblivious to the fact that at 8 p.m. precisely, confined Belgians everywhere in the country are opening their windows, their front doors, stepping onto their balconies, and they are all uniting in one massive applause to show their thanks and gratitude to the medical staff, doctors, nurses, cleaners, porters, cooks, the heroes of this time. And like that started the big hibernation of the world. And it felt as if the earth gave a big, long sigh. Six months have passed. It is the end of September 2020. It feels good to be back in Belgium again. They have relaxed the rules a little bit at the moment and I have jumped on the opportunity to drive over. I come out of my mum's house through the French doors. My legs brush against the lavender. They haven't been cut yet and some of them are still flowering. I walk through the garden my mum's amazing garden. Roses are still in bloom and dahlias bring patches of colours. It is a warm and sunny day, one of those Indian summer days. The breeze is soft and I can hear the chimes delicately ringing their crystalline sounds. I search from my mum. Where is she? And there I see her, lying in a colourful hammock having a little snooze. She's perfectly still and she snores a little in her comfort. I wake her and she smiles. It's time to go. We mustn't miss the checkup appointment. We should be at the hospital for four o'clock. As we drive, we pass through villages. All the people are sitting together on plastic chairs at their front doors or in their open garage. Yeah, that's very Belgian and they're basking in the sun and gossiping. Children are playing around on their bikes and a group of teenagers are lying down on a green. And those scenes of community reminds me of those of my childhood. Has something changed, shifted in our society for a better? Has these six months pause given us a taste for each other again? A need for connection? Time will tell, and it isn't over yet. We arrive at the hospital in good time. We have made our way to the lifts that will take us to the outpatient department. And there, standing together, we wait for the ping signaling the arrival of the lift. Ping. The doors automatically open. And there in front of us, in the lift, a young couple of lovers quickly move away from each other, slightly embarrassed. I look at her, and I know instantly. She must be 25, blonde, with a silky ponytail. And she looks at me. Her eyes are like a beam of life, energy. They are very pale green 
like water, edged by soft, dark lashes that gather into the smallest of curl on the corner. She's firmly holding her lover's arm, and my eyes are drawn to her hand, and I see it on his bare forearm, a tattoo, one that must be taking roots on his shoulder or upper arm, the black, sinuous branches of a tree, and on it, some dainty, pink flowers, like the blossom of a Japanese cherry tree. Of course, neither of them recognize me nor my mother. They excuse themselves as they pass, smile at us politely, come out of the lift and walk hand in hand towards the exit, trailing behind them youth, joy and hope. I hope you have enjoyed this story, half true, half hoped for. It has been like a very positive therapy for me to work on it and to voice it. Please get in touch and tell me what you thought of it. I have received many stories during the last few months and I will try to voice them in the coming weeks, but really I make no promise. We will see what lies ahead. But if you find you have a story, work on it and send it to me. You might find it as cathartic as I have found telling you my story. Get in touch with me via my website www.theairingcupboard.org or my Instagram or Facebook page. Just search for The Airing Cupboard and you, you should recognize the logo. And also, if you have time, you can review The Airing Cupboard on iTunes and share it. So, that's it. I wish you all the very best in the coming weeks. And until we meet again in The Airing Cupboard, goodbye.